Uh, welcome to another episode of Living Lives with Khalid. Uh, today, my guest is Lian. Uh, she is a designer that takes uh, vintage products and transforms them into uh, complete different wear. And uh, it really looks super artistic. And she's all about sustainability. She's also done a uh, deal with Nike to uh, supply their masks during uh, at the peak of the pandemic, which helped a lot. And um, so I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. Hi. Hi. Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So, Lean, you grew up in the UAE and Canada, if I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Abu Dhabi and then I'm Syrian originally. Um, So when you're born here, you don't get a passport, unfortunately. Um, So when the Syrian revolution started, uh, my family packed up and moved to Toronto. to get a passport and also, you know, open up more opportunities for me and my siblings. Um, So I finished off high school in Toronto. I went to university in Canada, in London, Ontario. Um, And then when I, so I lived there for about eight or nine years, Um, stayed there for a bit after I graduated university and just did some internships and kind of like dabbled First, I started off in the entertainment industry, actually. Um, I thought that's the route that I wanted to go into. Um, And then when I moved back here, I just really started falling in love with the fashion industry. Um, I studied media and journalism. So I knew I wanted to go into something with journalism. So when I had been working in the entertainment industry, I was doing... um, like uh, blogs, blog blog posts for entertainment companies to help like promote events. Um, so I would do like recaps of, of festivals or whatever. Hated the industry, um, super male dominant. And then when I came to Dubai, I started doing internships at fashion magazines. Um, so I started off at Savoir Flair, I think when I was 18 or 19. So I was still in university. Um, and then did a couple freelancing, uh, jobs as internships while I was in university for magazines in Dubai. And then when I moved back to Dubai, I worked for Grazia Middle East, um, and really enjoyed that industry, but I felt like it was a little too, um, office job and less creative and hands-on and I really was leaning more or found myself leaning less towards the journalism side although I love to write I love every aspect of journalism I I just felt like I was striving for something a bit more crafty and naturally kind of found my way into designing so I didn't study fashion design Mm -hmm. I'm self-taught um and yeah that's how I ended up kind of doing what I do now. Okay, so there's uh, a lot to unpack. I think what we'll do, let's start with the the designs, how it started, how you decided to break off from the office jobs or the corporate world or trying ventures with with others working for others and trying to do Mm -hmm. something more creative. So we'll discuss that and then we'll circle back a bit towards your life and how it happened to shape you to be who you are. And um, so when did you know that, okay, this is the time to break off? I know when I met you, you started the okay. uh, Sound Streetwear. 
And you yeah. weren't necessarily, you were manufacturing a lot of clothes, but you weren't changing vintage clothes yeah. into cool so, pieces. So when did you realize, did you start while you already had a job or did you decide to quit and then start sound uh, streetwear? Sound what was your yeah. pattern? So basically I, while I was doing my office jobs, I felt the need to like do something crafty. So I took it more as like a hobby as instead of just, you know, having a full career transformation, um, you know, like I'm, my family's based in Abu Dhabi and my work life and social life was in Dubai. So in order for me to like stay in Dubai, I needed a full-time job to finance, you know, staying there. Otherwise, why would I be in Dubai? I can just go to Abu Dhabi and be with my family. Um, so I didn't quit. I, I stuck it out and my mentality was just, you know, like, like take it as a hobby. Like, like I said, I'm self-taught. So I didn't think not, not that I think like I'm doing, having like imposter syndrome now, I'm just like doing what I like and I'm making a career out of it. But I really didn't think that like it was going to pick up so much to the point that people would want to purchase these rework designs. So it was definitely something that was like a hobby for me to like fuel that fire that I needed to have creatively. But also I needed my full-time job to one, finance my life and also finance my hobby. So I launched Sound On, um, which was never intended initially to, to go the sustainable route. It was just supposed to be like a streetwear brand that uh, is a form of art and expressionism. And I always wanted it to be a collaborative brand. So I wanted and still am striving to collaborate with artists or photographers or um, digital creators, whatever it may be, just so that it's more of a collective as opposed to like an individual um, brand. And while I was, um, you know, working on my full-time job, that was financing that, you know, production costs money, um, uh, shoots costs money, like all these things. It's just not, it's not like, as simple as it sounds like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to start a streetwear brand. Like you need a trade license. You need paper. There's a lot of payments mm -hmm. and you need money for it. So yeah, I stuck it out with my full-time job until I felt like it was kind of taking, if the brand was taking up, picking up and taking out too much of my time and I couldn't balance both, then I would drop the full-time job and pursue that full-time. But you know, when you launch something, it takes a while for you know, your baby to like grow. So yeah, definitely would have been a silly mistake for me to just quit my job right off the bat and just mm -hmm. be like, I'm doing this full time. Um, how did it go from it being a streetwear brand to it becoming all about sustainability and zero waste, just super organically, honestly. Um, while I was in the process of figuring out like which manufacturers to use, how to manufacture, what fabrics to source, where to source them from, I was starting to realize like just how much waste goes into it. And, you know, from simple things that you don't even think about, like carbon footprint from flying out this piece of fabric to here and then the water waste that goes into producing it and also the dyes and just carbon emission. Like there's so much waste that goes into it. And I was never intending on mass producing. I just always wanted small batches. 
And even with my small batches, like there was just so much excess waste. Whenever I tried to go a more sustainable route, whether it was like sourcing from recycled fabrics, but locally, um, I wanted to always do everything local. So fabric sourcing local, manufacturing local. Um, there was also a lot of roadblocks with that. You know, sustainability is still a new topic here and in the UAE. And uh, you know, something as simple as sourcing recycled fabric isn't as easy as you think it would be in the UAE. Uh, whereas like in the States or Europe or um, even Bali, you know, super big there. Um, it was just really, really difficult for me to find it here. So I was just kind of like, why, why am I putting so much effort into and finding also like a lot of roadblocks and no's just not even just knows why am I putting so much effort into something that clearly isn't going to be feasible for me? Let me figure out a way to make it feasible. And so I just started collecting fabric waste, uh, working with charity organizations here in the UAE that donate um, pre-loved clothes that are damaged and no good for resale or whatever. And I would take that or I would source vintage pieces from Toronto thrift stores that I used to go to growing up and rework those. So just basically trying to follow a zero waste policy and taking something that is old or unwanted or, you know, vintage pieces are super desired right now, but um, there's, there's still in such excess of them. Like you're going to find vintage pieces everywhere in every country um, and making it a little bit more one of a kind, a little bit more special by reworking them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, how did you transition to to that realization that you needed to? Uh, you realized that it was very difficult to manufacture uh, recyclable th uh, things. So, what made you decide? Okay, I need to create my own. Was it? Did you remember the store that you you went to in Toronto? Was that like? How did you connect the dots? Okay, I want to do vintage. I was always upcycled for fun, and okay. I never thought that it was something that people would want because it was just something like I would take pieces from my closet and actually I would take pieces from my sister's closet when I was younger and I'd be <laughs> like, oh, she doesn't want this anymore. And like, just rework it to fit me. And, um, so when I started learning how to sew and pattern making, um, I just started experimenting with my closet and posting it on Instagram. And it was never meant to be part of sound on. It was just okay. me reworking, posting it on my personal social media page. Um, and then I remember this year's Soul DXB was canceled. Um, but the year before, so that was 2019, actually, um, I needed an outfit for Soul and... I really didn't feel like spending money on a one-off piece of clothing that I was going to wear for one day and never wear again because yeah. everyone goes super extravagant and extra at Seoul with their outfits. And so I just wanted to be a bit more feasible about it and have my own personal touch. So I just took a couple of my streetwear pieces and reworked them and wore them to Seoul for three days. and everyone was coming up to me and complimenting me. And then when they heard that I reworked it, like they showed a lot of interest 
Okay. Not just in the outfit, but like yeah. in, in purchasing. purchasing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just kind of was like, is this a thing? Like, are people interested in this? So yeah. a lot of people were, were like, like a lot, I really didn't expect that a lot of people were showing love, um, actually asking to make for, for commissions. So then I realized like that is something that is a bit untapped here. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of streetwear brands. in dubai and in the region not even in dubai there's a lot of sustainable brands in the region where they use organic or recycled materials but there's literally no one else here that is taking pre-loved or vintage attire and reworking them and that was something that i was already doing and kind of had a following for on my own personal page so like why not utilize that and and actually make a business out of it i mean clearly i like i'm passionate about it i enjoy it and uh so why not why not like sell it yeah. to people no it's it's amazing i think it, it's so cool how it just works organically and it's so funny that you said you didn't think people would uh it wouldn't resonate with people because you know how artists always say oh it's just a normal piece oh it's nothing but actually to others like i've seen your work it's super super incredible and it shows tremendous talent it's because we of where we live like i'm sure in toronto all of you know my friends would have loved pieces like this but i was super hesitant about it in dubai because people love brand labels like they love brand names they love they love rocking like the newest piece and the latest designer brand. And as much as people try to give off the persona of them, you know, being hipster or like sustainable or whatever, like we live in Dubai and in Dubai materialism is a big part of the lifestyle. So Mm -hmm. taking something that is pre-loved, like the concept of pre-loved vintage, uh used isn't like a luxury uh yeah. i i idea see, so- see it's not i don't think it's luxurious but at the same time because they're one of a kind and they're super unique, unique. i think it yeah. creates that luxury feel because no exactly. one else has this exact same piece that you have uh, plus yeah. it's it's uh your pieces demand attention right it shows that hey i'm here and so i think people love the the statement they make and also it's something uh, like what happened to you in, in Seoul. People will stop you because they don't see it anywhere else, right? So I think that's the the sweet spot that you've hit. And also it's 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 just art. It's, it's great to see someone wearing literally art because that's what, what it looks like, at least to me. And uh, yeah. I've told you this off, off of the podcast that I think it's it's such cool uh a cool idea that you're doing and it's clearly shows your passion so my next question for you is are you gonna completely switch to just reworking uh vintage clothes or are you gonna continue your streetwear brand and manufacturing part as part of the business and Um, what's your vision for it as well yeah so obviously um you know if you want to own a business you have to think bigger um mm-hmm. can't stay at a standstill so like i ideally yeah i do have to think about how to maintain sustainability this is a roadblock that i'm dealing with right now how to maintain being sustainable but also growing the business mm-hmm. um i'm definitely going to continue reworking um i have been 
collecting and sourcing um, fabric scraps from various people, uh, charities, um, factories, warehouses for quite some time and like figuring out how to make a collection based off of that without just um, one-off pieces, but also maybe how to create uh, duplicates of. But also I do want to focus on uh, recycled materials as well. So if I do have a design and people want it mass produced, um, I mean, I still do low inventory. I would never mass mass produce, but you know, if they would want them in a couple of different options, then the best and most feasible option is to introduce and integrate recycled materials. So recycled cotton and recycled plastic. Mm-hmm. So my most recent collection, um, it was like two piece sets in four different colorways. They're all made from recycled plastic. And so um, what's and it's all done locally. So there's a place in Dubai that I source the fabric from where essentially they create um, yarn fabric out of plastic bottles as a polyester replacement. Um, We all know what polyester is. So rather than producing new polyester, which is essentially producing new plastic Mm -hmm. uh, to integrate into your clothing, just take recycled plastic bottles and, uh, you know, break that down into um, new polyester. Yeah. Going off of that, with with fast fashion becoming the norm, uh, when you're talking about giants like Zara, H&M, all these uh, big, big companies, these corporations, do you see sustainability playing a role in the future? And do you see them shifting towards a more sustainable route? Or is that too far, too far ahead? Um, it's hard. It's hard because I see brands shifting. It's hard for me to answer because yeah, I do see brands shifting. I mean, H&M has already created a sustainable line. Zara has already created a sustainable line. But the thing is, is with huge fast fashion brands like Zara and H&M, I don't believe that they're necessarily doing that to take the brand to be fully sustainable. They're just doing it to market themselves in a better way and angle themselves in a more positive light. You know, um, sustainability is a super hot topic right now, especially coming off of 2020. Um, More and more people who, I don't want to say didn't care about the environment, but like more and more people are understanding the environmental impact that is happening. And so, um, you know, sustainability is starting to become a super important topic to discuss. And even here in the region, um, you know, some people, just as my parents, as a prime example, my father has been in this country since the very start, since when it was nothing. And when I told him about my business plan and what I wanted to do, they just didn't understand it. They understand sustainability, but they just didn't see it working here in the region because. And did that make them less supportive, your dad and or parents? I wouldn't say less supportive. They were just a bit concerned. They were like, why don't you do it in Canada? Mm -hmm. We still have our home there. I still have a life there. My friends are still there. Um, So they were just like they were kind of more like, wouldn't it be easier for you to do that there? My point was because no one's doing it here. It's important to educate people on it. 
Um, but even with that, like there has been so much positive, um, feedback and support. And I honestly think that the sustainable community here or the outreach or education towards, um, sustainability, not just, you know, with recycling of materials, but also in the fashion industry is starting to become super hot right now. And more people are becoming educated about it and therefore understanding the importance and value of it. So a lot of brands in the region, international brands, but have, you know, headquarters here in the Middle East have uh, been showing support or, um, you know, it also letting me know that they're starting to integrate a sustainability campaign um, in the next coming year. Um, and so it's nice to see that, you know, big brands, not just local brands, big international brands are starting to lean towards that mm -hmm. and actually, you know, make a difference, whether it's in their production um, or how they how, material sourcing, whatever it may be, just anything towards being a bit more conscious. Um, but then there's also brands that are taking advantage of this wave, this popular sustainable wave, and like just using it as a marketing tactic to be like, oh, see, look at us, you know, we're, we're sustainable. Um, I recently watched, um, you know, Hassan Minaj? Yeah. Course. Yeah, so I watched an episode. You should watch it actually. It's the fast fashion episode. Okay. And he discusses Zara and HM, okay, and kind of just like demolished them. <laughs> uh, and he discusses how, you know, sustainability has been a hot topic and yada, 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 and how HM launched the sustainable line and they did this whole pop up and ordeal about it. And then when it actually came down to looking at, let's say, a T-shirt that they oh, pulled. Oh, yes. I saw this episode. Yes, yes. The only, thing, the only thing that was sustainable about the T-shirt was like the little pocket or something in it. And the rest was just, you know, mm -hmm. same old, same old. So, and yet they can claim that it's made sustainably, like legal, on a legal standpoint, because that one little tiny yeah. percentage of the whole grand scheme of the t-shirt was made from a recycled material yeah. or was made from because they're money. they're strong lobbyists so it's very difficult to create laws that actually uphold this the statement of sustainability so i mean it's it's yeah. But you know, that's the sad part is that it's not only like, uh, it's not unique to the fashion industry. It's within all industries. Like when you talk about food packaging and people are telling you, oh, they're using biodegradable uh, products, environmentally friendly, it's all marketing. And the end exactly. of the day, it's it's really not, you know, there's, you need to read the, the disclaimers. I mean, there there are some more biodegradable than others, but as today, as a modern world, I think the entire sustainability is 85, to, if not 90 to 95% just marketing and then 5%. Reality. 100%. And that's, that's what I mean when I say it's hard for me to answer that question because there genuinely are some brands that are actually changing their whole mm -hmm. model, business mm -hmm. model, everything from start to finish to actually be more sustainable whether it is um no longer producing products but making clothes that are made to order 
to -hmm. completely eliminate waste Mm -hmm. or using organic material, recycled material, uh, low MOQs. Um, So like there's just so many different aspects of brands that are actually doing that. And then there's the fashion brands that are riding the wave and are creating a sustainable collection. But then after that collection is done and released and whatever, they go back to producing how they used to produce. So like, what did we benefit from creating that one sustainable collection? Yeah, or collection, yeah. Literally made zero difference. It's unfortunate, but I think this is also like... You know? uh, Sorry, could you say that again? Like me just recycling one time and being like, you know, I did it. Like I made an impact doesn't actually do anything it was just kind of for like an instagram marketing tool Mm -hmm. or for like an influencer marketing tactic to be like oh and p.s you know this one shirt that you purchase plants one tree or like gives a kid in africa a pair of shoes and like great and then what do the rest of your collection yeah do when you make and like you said you don't even know okay you're planting one tree but Let's say for different products, it doesn't even have to be with fashion, but how many trees had to be cut down to actually make the product? So yeah, you're planting, it depends on the, on the industry. But also, um, so I think this is a good segue since we talked about big corporations to dive into your collaboration with Nike. How did that come about? Who approached who? So if there's, let's say, a new uh, designer right now uh, who's either creating fashion or shoes or whatever it may be, how could they approach a corporate brand like Nike, how can you collaborate with them? And what were some of the benefits that you found that came from that? Um, It happened super organically. Um, Essentially, I had just started realizing that I wanted to, um, you know, incorporate the reworked pieces into Sound One into the clothing brand. And I was discussing um, the best way to do it organically Mm -hmm. with a friend of mine who was an influencer and content creator. Um, And she was just helping me, you know, brainstorm ideas. And this was during peak of lockdown during COVID. Mm-hmm. So she was like, oh, you know, we've been noticing that a lot of brands have been sending out um, products to regional influencers or not just influencers, doesn't necessarily have to be someone with a huge following, just someone in the region that you like what they're doing, support what they're doing, whether it's artists or you know musicians um, and you know ask them to basically post content from the comfort of their own home. Um, so kind of like an impromptu shoot at their own home wearing your product. Um, so like influencer seating, if you must. And so I messaged a bunch of girls. Um, some were friends, some I've never met before. And I was just kind of like, hi, you know, this is what I'm doing. Explain the whole spiel of the brand with reworked vintage and pre-loved clothing and fabric waste. And, um, you know, obviously I, was careful to message who I did I wanted obviously us to have you know similar beliefs and mm-hmm. ethos so um, a lot of girls were super passionate about sustainability or, or vegans or you know like just mm-hmm. really care about um, this particular topic and one of the girls I had known from the industry in Dubai the fashion entertainment industry and I didn't know at uh, the time that she works at Nike. Mm. And because when I had 
met her, uh, we both used to work at Media City. Okay. She was in an advertisement company and I was working at Grazia. So I messaged her. She was like, yeah, super down. Amazing. She took a picture and posted on her Instagram. And then like not even a week later, um, like her boss at work was like, okay, guys. So like we're launching a campaign within the region and we're moving towards sustainability. Does anyone know any sustainable designers in the region that we could work with? Amazing. And she was she was just kind of like, oh, actually, not even a week ago, this, this, and this happened. And then, yeah, she gave, sent me a voice note and was just like, FYI, someone from my team is going to be contacting you. I didn't know what about, honestly. I thought it was to, like, maybe send me a gift, <laughs> <laughs> like a pair of shoes. I didn't know yeah. what it would be. I was like, oh, okay. And uh yeah then uh someone from her team basically contacted me and was like you know we're launching this whole campaign about sustainability and we have a shoe that is a vapor rack shoe made from sustainable materials clothing made from sustainable materials and um we really want to uh work with like regional sustainable designers i wasn't the only one there was a girl also ng mm -hmm. she has a clothing brand as well uh, she made tote bags and masks as well. And yeah, so they worked with us, which was really cool um, to, to take their dead stock football jerseys um, from past collections and rework them into something new. So face okay. masks or tote bags or whatever. And um, which was amazing, super cool. Um, but yeah, I guess, to like relay back to your question, like how would a young designer in the region try to target someone from, um, you know, like a brand like Nike or Adidas or whatever? Um, I guess the best advice I would say is to one, be consistent and like constantly put out new work. Um, you know, just because you did something once doesn't mean that anyone owes you anything you have to prove to people and to brands and companies that like you you're consistent you're creative um you can come up with new things and you're reliable in terms of your work ethic um and also this is something that i'm constantly preaching to people collaboration um you never know what could come out of a collaboration or a partnership and when you do so you know don't expect payments out of it you know i've done so much work for people for free um not expecting anything back honestly just so that we can both boost each other's platforms together support each other um and you know so that in the future maybe if something were to come up work-wise or an opportunity that person would potentially maybe have me on mind and be like yeah she's super cool to work with and you know we did something together and it went yeah. really well and you know here's her contact info and I feel like in Dubai and in the industry that is how most people get the work that they do it's through networking and connections and also through collaborations yeah and I think in the world as well, you're like just elevating one another, right? And I think that's what the whole, uh, you know, as a community, that's what you should be doing. And I feel like the world, I mean, arguably, given the recent political 
stuff that's been happening globally, I feel like the world's becoming smaller and smaller. And so I think the, the, like if you take me or you, for example, uh, for me, Bahrain is home, Saudi is home, uh, Colorado is home, Dubai is home. So, and for you, it's Toronto, Dubai, potentially Abu Dhabi. So we have all these different communities that we have become a part of and somehow yep. integrated within them as well. And so I don't know about you. I feel not a responsibility or duty, but rather like I want to help out. I want to help everyone uh you know elevate themselves and and if i can lend a hand why not you know and uh it, it's it's not why i started this this podcast i was hoping that uh people will learn from these uh podcasts and maybe someone uh, out there will benefit from it and that would be I've, I've accomplished my job and at the same time if i can support as well especially now i don't have a tremendous following but once i do i'd love to you know try to push anyone that i can that has ideas like yours or or anything because it's it's what life is about right we help one another and i think uh, that's the beauty of life it also helps elevate what you're trying to do you know um i'm well aware that like i'm just one person mm -hmm. doing this whole brand and as creative or as amazing or whatever as anyone thinks that they are you're always going to be better with help and fresh mm -hmm. ideas and fresh perspective and you know people come from so many different experiences and backgrounds that could help mm -hmm. elevate any project so collaboration isn't just about like networking and growing mm -hmm. your um outreach or whatever it's also about like making sure that the product that you're releasing is going to be better than you even thought it was going to be yeah um just, and even more than just the 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 product uh, itself you learn from different perspectives right some uh, you might see someone's process that you're collaborating with and you're like oh why don't I incorporate what he or she is doing in their process into mine because it works or or it it actually solves X, Y, Z of my issues that I've been facing in my yeah. creative process or yeah. in whatever, if it's not a creative you aspect. Can, you can ask for help, you know, yeah. like by no means am I a graphic designer, for example, but when I released my most recent collection of sets, I really felt like what would have elevated the recycled sets that I created would have been some really, really cool illustrations um, embroidered onto the piece. And a friend of mine who's also a huge sustainable sustainability activist um, and is an amazing illustrator and graphic designer doesn't have a huge following or whatever. Just I genuinely love her work. Um, we collaborated on that and she created such amazing pieces. And I honestly feel like that is what the sets needed to give it that edge. Yeah. And every time I do pop-ups or even online or like, you know, whenever I'm doing shoots or whatever, the first thing people notice are those uh, illustrations. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, you mentioned online store and pop-ups. Are those the main two venues where you sell your clothes? Yeah. So I sell online uh, and through Instagram, but okay. mostly... Send me, the, send me the link later. I'll also tag it and put it in the description okay, so I people will. can... Sell online. I sell through Instagram. Pop-ups. Um, I used to be stocked at a boutique in Abu Dhabi 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just felt like during uh, all my pop up, yeah. oh. I needed to like bring in more of my inventory. And I felt like, see, the issue is, and this is where young business owners need to be smart with where they stock. Um, if you can sell it by yourself on your own platform, then do it. It's the best way because you're going to get a hundred percent of the profits. Mm-hmm. The second you start outsourcing them to like different boutiques and stuff, they're either going to um, take a huge percentage of it, let's say 30 to 40 percent wow. on consignment. So that's still a loss. Yeah. Um, or let's say they purchase your uh, products. So like you deal with a fashion buyer, um, which is amazing. You know, you made a sale, whatever, and it's bought in bulk. Um, they're still purchasing it at um, a discounted price because obviously they're purchasing it at both. So if you have the clients or the footfall, let's say, to sell the products yourself, then that's the best way to do it and just really focus on like your digital marketing. Um, but you know, if you're really struggling to get people to notice your brand or um, you know, follow through with the payment or whatever, and you want to partner up with someone like a boutique or an e-commerce platform that is well-known, um, you know, has a lot of foot traffic and um, uh, is guaranteed to make sales, then, you know, uh, going for consignment obviously is not that big of a difference because a sale is a sale. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's the venue that worked uh, the best for you? Is it pop-ups? Where you sell the most? I think pop-ups are the best for me because I get to be there and talk to people and share like the whole narrative of the piece and really explain that like I source this piece myself. Uh, When people hear that like I handmade that piece myself, everything was done by me. They get even more excited about the piece and just have to get it. Um, Mm -hmm. With online, it takes away that personal experience. Um, 100%. 100%. Kind of like you have a conversation, a back and forth conversation with the clients. They they follow you on, on social media. They talk to me about it. Um, and sometimes I've gotten customers who I've met at pop-ups and then they would ask me to do like a special commission for them. Uh, so, you know, with that, it kind of even helps with more opportunities. Whereas with online, it's just you and yourself and your computer and just kind of doing the transaction. Definitely. Yeah. Especially with a young brand, people need to like know and understand the young the ethos, brand, you know? yeah, yeah. They need to exactly. see the, the designer, the creator, the story, the and resonate, and and people like to feel connected, right? So they become kind of not a part of your story exactly, but like they share your story because they're listening to the source of the story, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely helps with sales. And uh, do you have a dream pop up? Do you have like a goal uh, on a pop up where you definitely want to be a part yeah, of? Yeah. Um... I've been wanting to do a pop-up in Toronto for so long. And I really, really thought that I was going to be able to do it this summer. Then obviously COVID Mm -hmm. and everything. 
happened. And I think that hopefully by um, summer of 2021, I would like to finally get my Toronto pop up and do kind of like a homecoming. Uh, Amazing. Back because, you know, the homecoming as, line. <laughs> as, as, as you were talking about, you know, like it would be so silly of me not to utilize my connections and um, the friends that I have there um, to help elevate a pop-up in Toronto. You know, I know a lot of people in the entertainment industry, in the music industry, a lot of creatives that could I could collaborate with to help elevate it, help me pick the perfect location, market it the best way. Um, there's so many cities that like I'm just a complete stranger to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never lived in Paris. I don't, I've been to yeah. Paris a bunch of times, but I don't know the city inside and out. Toronto, I know inside well, and out. It, and it was- imagine if it's like, um, each city is a river, right? And you can see stones underneath the river and the stones in Toronto are more apparent to you. So you know where to step into the I river. Know, You're not falling I, in. Exactly. Like I would know the do's and don'ts before even having to consult anyone about it. And I, um, to utilize that and i think that it would be you know exciting for my friends as well a lot of my friends in toronto have been supporting me in the brand and mm-hmm. purchasing pieces and i ship it to canada and amazing. it's amazing and they wear it and they tag me but you know to actually like have but a you know i don't want to sound thing. super cheesy but uh this is the theme it's everything's organic for you and toronto feels like the organic uh route you know <laughs> yeah so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I want to put myself like it's still a young brand. You know, I wouldn't want to put myself through such a headache and like mm-hmm. hectic process just for a simple pop up mm-hmm. um, where, you know, with a pop up, you're never guaranteed sales. That's that, you know, fate is in your hands. You kind of have mm-hmm. to reel those buyers, those customers in. So um, if you can make the process as smooth and organic and easy as possible, um, then, then obviously don't take the hard road, you know? Like. Definitely, definitely. I remember the day we met, uh, and you were discussing to me your, your brand, you just recently started it and to, to see where you've come to all the listeners, like it's, a it's a tremendous change. It's huge. You've been, you've changed, you've matured a lot more. Not that you weren't, uh, not that you were immature back then, but like you've learned from experience. You've thrown yourself yeah. out there. You dived head first and you've evolved so much and I'm sure you're going to continue evolving. It is upcoming and I have so much faith in you. And I think it's going to continue to, to be uphill from here. Um, and, and of course, and now that we've discussed more of like, your brand, who you are, what your goals and visions are for the brand. I would love to talk about who you are as a person. Um, were you always this, this confident? Were you always pursuing what you wanted, whether not necessarily in business-wise, but uh, in life? What was it like growing in your family? And uh, do you have a lot of siblings? What's life like for you? Um, On a more I'm personal note. Super, 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 super lucky to have really, really supportive parents. And um, they're really big cheerleaders of mine, but also on a real note, they're Arab parents. So they are my my biggest skeptics as well. 
And this wasn't something that was easy for me to convince my parents to get on board with. They they still don't understand me. Like my mom just mm-hmm. always like murmurs, like, like, I just don't get this one. You know, my yeah. sister's in business, my brother's in business, my dad's in business, just super by the book. And then I just kind of came out and was like, I'm just going to recycle clothing. Like they just don't understand it. My mom hates thrifting. Hates thrift culture. Um, she literally like holds back puke when I take her into <laughs> any thrift store because of that thrift smell. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't get it, and so and but she's still supportive of it. So it says a lot about them. Definitely. Uh, and I think that you know, honestly, for anyone who has like doubters or like parents stopping them, I think they'll still appreciate the hustle. So if you're doing whatever you're doing and it may seem a little bit weird to them, if they see that you're hustling and grinding and like really, really working your best, they're going to appreciate it and applaud it. And I think that that is when they started getting on board with it. Um, you know, every time they would want to catch up or talk to me about something, I would have something new or a new opportunity to fill them in on. And like, they wouldn't even expect it or anticipate it. Um, so yeah, that's when they started like getting more on board with what I was doing. But, um, I've always been super stubborn and outspoken. I'm the youngest of three siblings. I have an older brother and an older sister. And so I think that, um, and I have quite a big age gap between both of them. So my sister is five years older and my brother is nine years older. And I think um, I always really wanted to fit in with them. So I always kind of like matured myself a little bit to hang out with my sister's friends or my brother's friends and kind of make myself sound older, which I think made myself seem more confident. And then it resonated with my overall personality as I grew and matured uh, to just be super outspoken and not afraid to say what I wanted to say. And I think that that is one of my positive traits now trying to run a business, a small business, is that I know what I want and I know what I don't want and I'm not willing to compromise. Mm -hmm. And I've had to be especially as a girl here i've had to be super 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 firm at times and eventually it pays off sometimes it doesn't and you know i'm left with nothing because i just can't find what i want but you know also with patience you will figure it out there's definitely and once your will is so powerful and so set in stones everything that you want will happen and if it doesn't then something better will come along because you just can't fail when you have that stubbornness you know i also think that i'm not i don't put a lot of pressure on myself i'm a pretty Mm -hmm. lax person yeah uh so you know if something fails utterly it's not that big of a deal to me i'm not a type a personality at all i'm pretty easygoing so yeah yeah and i mean there's i I don't believe in failures i think you learn from them right as cheesy as it sounds you know like they that's my sister and i are two complete opposites like she is type a to the t if she got an a minus on a test it was like the end of the world like she just like 
It's the same with my younger sister too. Like she, if she got anything less, I mean, both of my sisters were 4.0 and my younger sister 3.99. So like, <laughs> like it, they're, they're very. I think because my sister was like that, I just naturally became anything but, mm-hmm. um, and no one was putting all this pressure on her. You know, my parents never did. She just was naturally this type of person. And so I just felt like, you know, it's not the end of the world if what you wanted doesn't happen, if anything, like, you know, it's meant to be. So I feel like that's super important. You know, if you get super bummed out about something not going your way mm-hmm. and holding a grudge about it, it's really, really going to start to like deteriorate, like how you feel about your project or your passion or your company yeah. or whatever. It's kind of like always let go. Like go and live. You know? Life yeah, is exactly. easy. It's it's I mean well, there are it's complex. Hmm? Yeah. I chill and see how it goes. I definitely think that I need to improve on like putting myself out there a little bit more. I'm a bit reserved at times because I really, really hate going on about like work. Mm-hmm. at social settings or whatever i think that you know when people go out to socialize it's just let's not talk about work um but i definitely think that incorporating it in as a networking tactic mm-hmm. would obviously be really really necessary and important especially for someone who's freelancing yeah um, plus to you i feel like it's not necessarily work i think we need a better word because yeah. like it's something you love it's a hobby that you've transformed into a business so yeah, yeah. it's but I, work has just this negative connotation for some reason. Uh, I think it's because the majority of the people are not even happy with what they're doing, you know. But uh, yeah. I think when you find that sweet spot, even going on a social setting, why wouldn't you speak about your work? Because you're passionate about it, you love it, you're proud of it. And so yeah. it makes, uh, sorry about the pun, but it makes organic sense for you to talk about it, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's it's great. And I think we need more of this in the region. I think people are... Uh, starting to be more active. I, I hear of a lot of people starting pop-ups, starting brands, starting uh, tech companies. And, and so I think it's definitely very nice to see that there is traction, there's movement, and there's uh, uh, evolution in the region because it's, it's, it's cool. I think another important thing is confidence. Mm-hmm. Super, super, super important, especially if you want to grow your business and put yourself out there. Like, just really cannot think or care about what other people are saying. 100%. Um, I remember when I first wanted to start doing this, uh, and like my Instagram was public and whatever, and like it was such a big deal to like my cousins back in Syria or like my family. Like, mm-hmm. oh, why does Lean have an in- public Instagram? Like, why is she posting pictures of herself? Blah, 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 blah. Like, I just didn't really care, to be honest. And I don't, <laughs> don't care. And yeah. if anyone has anything bad to say about it, I block them. You yeah. should see my blocked list on Instagram. There's a <laughs> Actually, I have so many people blocked. And it's not random people, like, cyberbullying me. It's, like, family members that just... Yeah something to say about me being public about my life if you don't like it i don't care 
Like yeah, it's 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 your life. It should be your freedom. It's none of their business. Um, I mean, and when in one hand, I we don't understand their perspective, and I'm not saying that we must or we should, but yeah. it just makes me when I see that stuff happier that uh, that I'm not person. like that. You know that I'm yeah. not. I'm not. I'm. I'm too busy working on my own grass. I'm too busy. Yeah. Like, like if this makes you happy, do it. If it's not harming or hurting others physically, mentally, then you know who cares. You're not paying my bills. You're not living my life. I so. normalize separating my work and personal life so much. Um, and my coping coping mechanism is like, if you don't like it, I'll just block you. And some people take it so personally and they'll be like, oh, like, how yeah. could she blah, blah, blah. It's not a personal thing. It's just that me doing my work and striving for what I want to do, if it affects you so much to like, go out, then, and you're refusing to unfollow me, then how about I do it for you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, I mean, that sounds logic. You're the one refusing to unfollow me and then going out of your way to like make me feel bad about it. So I'm just going to do the job for you thereby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with that. Honestly, it, it makes sense. And um, I think that like people need to just realize that they can't push their own beliefs onto others. If you have a way, a certain way of living or a certain belief, then have a conversation about it. Like, don't you think that, like, let's say one of your family members saw, let's say a picture that they didn't agree with. They could message you be like, why do you post things like these? I'm not asking from a, like to put you down, but I just want to understand where you're coming from. And maybe, you know, understand that the culture has changed if they're older, you know, and they, they, you, in you an ideal world, in an ideal world, Khaled, yeah, that would yeah. be how, conflict is resolved for yeah. me and Jay. it's not even conflict it's just that like conflict is resolved you know in, yeah. that is an ideal scenario but the reality of it is that is Super just not how yeah yeah, uh, yeah. So, and i just definitely run my life based off of positive energy and if i feel any sort of negative energy or like evil eye or whatever it may be coming in any direction then the best yes. way for me to do it is just avoid uh, avoid 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 and just continue being happy in, in my own bubble doing what makes me happy yeah yeah what do they say <laughs> right but it's cool no i think it's it's a great mentality to have it's very apparent why you've followed your passions and why you've become a designer it's this positive attitude it's this love not only for life, but for every day and not willing to settle, you know? And I think that's something we need, uh, when more people need to realize and wake up that uh, your life is in your hands, you know? It's very easy to forget that every day is never gonna be repeated. It's like, you just wake up, you're in a routine or you wake up, you don't feel like getting up or whatever it may be that you're doing. You, we tend to forget that this is life, ironically. Yeah. You know, it just becomes background noise. So I think once people realize, no, I control the steering wheel, this confidence will come naturally. And if you're not confident, fake it. One day you're going to make it. One day it's going to be reality. It just, will. You will yeah. start to learn. To, 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 mm -hmm. Because while you're faking it, you're going to start to realize, oh, actually, like, 
Yeah, no and one... I think there were also some studies shown with yeah. everything, even like if you're smiling, even if you're not happy, but you continuously smile and smile and smile, you're going to feel yourself getting better because your brain is sending out that smi- those smiling signals and, and you're, you're trying to lift yourself up. And all it takes is a step forward and then a collective of all these steps, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so more- if you had a piece of advice you'd give any upcoming designer and also any individual throughout any industry, what would it be in terms of business and in terms of life? Um, I think my advice would mesh into both Mm -hmm. the business and personal, put yourself out there and don't, don't be afraid to just go for it. Um, if you like internships are so important to meet people in the industry, even if you know, you're doing it for free. Just put your ego to the side for a little bit and just grow and learn. You can never learn too much and you can never stop growing. Not to sound cheesy, but like I've done so many internships in my life, all for free, never made a cent. And I did it with a smile on my face every single day as if I was a paid employee because I was enjoying it and I knew that eventually I would benefit from it, whether it was a name on a resume to get a paid job at the end of the day or to grow my network or to learn from industry leaders, whatever it may be. Um, Put yourself out there, start reaching out to people um, and just, you know, keep growing. Um, I am constantly telling, you know, there's a lot of girls that I speak to like younger girls that are like, Oh, I want to work in the fashion industry. Like that's a dream of mine. And I'm like, Oh, like what, what in the fashion industry do you want to do? Because there's so many different aspects to it. It's not just fashion design. Um, and then they'll just kind of stare blankly into space and be like, Oh, it's like a script that they were taught or memorized rather than it's being reality. I mean, maybe it's not a script. They, they do want to work in the fashion industry. They're just not properly educated on the different realms that it can go into. I mean, I, I was like that too. I was like, I want to go into fashion journalism. And then when I actually worked in the industry, I was like, actually, I think I'm a more creative hands-on type of person. I still Mm -hmm. love it. It just wasn't something I could do forever long-term. And so practicing, trying out different fields, realizing that, oh, this didn't work out for me. Or, oh, actually, I really like it, but I'm not that good at it. It's okay. Like, that's an okay thing to go through until you realize what you're good at, what you're passionate about. And, and, you know, if people, um, if you're worried about what people think, uh, then that's, that's honestly the biggest mistake that you it's an do. internal thing they need to realize you need to cut off what others are saying out of your frequency and just because pre- those people that are going to be giving you a hard time as soon as you actually get a big break with whatever it is you're trying to do um they're going to be the people that are like i was there from the very beginning like so proud of you blah 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 and i mean it's happened to me too not that i said i not that i'm claiming I've had a big breakthrough. <laughs> like, I just think that it's happened to me too, where when I told people, you know, I wanted to start getting into fashion, they were kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like 
yeah. cool. And yeah. then when I started doing pop-ups or whatever, like those people started showing up and being like, yeah, you know, like that's my girl. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way, <laughs> the way it works, um, unfortunately. But at the same time, uh, you know, that's how you know who's real and who's not at the same time. You I know? Just think that, yeah, putting yourself out there and learning is so important. Um, I am still still learning. I mean, I just took like an online digital marketing course during lockdown and like was doing Zoom classes and whatever. And I Mm -hmm. just turned 26, you know, like there's, there's no harm in still taking like online courses and learning. Um, once you hit a certain age and like, you're supposed to be done with your master's or done with your undergrad or whatever, like that's it. Work should start no more learning. Like I think that's a silly mentality. And I think that, you know, you should constantly keep evolving or growing Definitely. and maybe mastered one craft. Mm-hmm. So then grow into another and then see if you can merge the two. Mm-hmm. Um, always, yeah. I always think you should pick new things and try new things and see what you like. But also there is one thing I want to emphasize that you said, um, a lot of people, or, or there are people that know what they want to be doing and love what they do, but the majority don't. And most people find out what they want to do by doing what they don't want to do. So exactly. you touched on that. And so I just wanted to emphasize it. Um, yeah. And also, when is your birthday? Is it today or yesterday? <laughs> it was yesterday. It was January 11th. <laughs> Happy birthday or belated birthday. I wish you the best. <laughs> Thank you. So you're a fellow Capricorn then, huh? Yeah, so we're stubborn. See, yeah, like, we I'm, are very I'm stubborn. stubborn. <laughs> so I think that's honestly a really, really good quality because I am willing to wait and be patient until I'm satisfied with the product that I'm putting out. And um, yeah, that's Definitely. a capital. Yeah, that's what we are. <laughs> um, well, uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much for for joining the podcast and hopefully we'll have you on again at some point in time and uh, we'll see the tremendous growth you're going to go through. Um, yeah. I have a couple of projects coming up. Uh, can't talk about them, but you'll see. You'll see on Instagram. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. <laughs> thank thank you, you again for joining.